Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And I was gone for a week. Uh, I was actually in Chicago for the Crossroads Guitar Summit with Eric Clapton et al. It was even hotter there on that Saturday afternoon than it is today here in Ann Arbor. But, uh, yeah, 100 degree uh, heat is... uh, Infecting good chunks of the United States. Seems like uh, it's been a while since we've had weather this hot. Yeah, we've been lucky, I guess. There have been a number of low humidity days and comfortable temperatures, but... uh, Almost got spoiled last week with those cool nights. Indeed. But it's important to remember that uh, instead of cranking up your uh, A.C., it's better to kind of go around the house and figure out, well, what can we unplug? Don't yep. need to run a fan in a room where there's nobody sitting. Uh, energy use, of course, spikes in these uh, hot, hot days. So uh, just keep it in mind. Conserve as much as possible because if the grid goes out, you will have nothing. That's right. <laughs> You'll have to barbecue all that stuff in your freezer. <laughs> Well, kind of a active couple of weeks here. The death of Robert Byrd, uh, McChrystal biting the dust. Uh, more unemployment numbers. Looks like Michael Steele might be on the ropes with more gaffes and goofs and stupidity. I guess we can start out with him. We'll give him a brain damage award for even trying to suggest remotely that uh, the Afghan war is somehow... Obama's war. Where's he been for the last decade? Unbelievable. Uh, His comment. This is not something that the United States had actively prosecuted or wanted to engage in. What? It was the president, i.e. Obama, who was trying to be cute by half by flipping a script, demonizing Iraq, while saying the battle really should be in Afghanistan. Well, if he's such a student of history, has he not understood that you know that's the one thing you don't do is engage in a land war in Afghanistan? Gee, where was Michael Steele in the war cabinet of the Bush administration? Too cute by half. Unbelievable. Too stupid by a... (laughs) Well, Two he's, and three quarters. I had so many blunders, it's hard to believe he's still in his job. But uh, I guess we'll see what happens. John McCain is uh, all but calling for his resignation. Hmm. So uh, he gets a brain damage award. And as for McChrystal, I'm not too sure uh, what Kool-Aid he was drinking that day when he decided to invite Rolling Stone of all magazines. Yeah, apparently they were uh, over, uh, flight was overlaid, uh, delays because of the uh, Icelandic volcano. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of heavy drinking ensued and uh, loose lips, as they once said, sink ships. I say, I said, boy, bring me another mint julep. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure he said to himself, uh, Rolling Stone, isn't that that magazine that those commie pinko fags over in New York and Los Angeles and San Francisco read? Come on over here. I'll give you an interview. (laughs) Um, 
You know, there was a lot of discussion about comparisons to Truman. And, of course, I'm mocking McChrystal there, not uh, making a commentary about Rolling Stone. <laughs> it's a fine publication. Occasionally actually has some kind of interesting investigative pieces, uh, particularly as it relates to the war on drugs, for mm. instance. Uh, over the years, they've been uh, in the forefront of uh, exposing the folly of uh, the tremendous wasted resources that the... Uh, State budgets that are, of course, in uh, deficits all over the country have uh, poured into this uh, poured into this bottomless pit. Phrase uh, that Richard, called the war on drugs. Richard Nixon uh, started a sort of a, a war on law and order, and of course, it was the Reagan administration that popularized the expression "the war on drugs." But uh, I think that the really uh, historical apposite uh, comparison, not in terms of this uh, civilian control, I don't think that was really in dispute here. I don't think McChrystal had a problem like that. But it was really Westmoreland. Westmoreland yeah, during that's... the Vietnam War was the one that kept calling for more troops. Mm -hmm. And it's quite clear that there is a chasm uh, in the in the Obama administration about what to do regarding Afghanistan. It sounds like uh, what we're going to see here is Petraeus, who was obviously the uh, the perfect selection to replace McChrystal at this point. You know, they're going to have this policy review uh, in December. Some people are calling for it now. Um, obviously, there's going to be some sort of an offensive. Then there will be the policy review. And then, uh, uh, you know, somebody's going to have to make a decision. But it's interesting when you go back and you check a uh, pretty interesting cover story back on the 18th of October's uh, New York Times Sunday magazine with a, a picture of McChrystal. He looks like a bit of a boozer to me. Yeah, he's got that sort of uh, reddish corn liquor nose, if corn I was Corn liquor nose. <laughs> <laughs> Quote W.C. Fiends. <laughs> Uh, and uh, he does sound, uh, you know, ran eight miles a day, ate one meal a day, and sort of a Spartan, stoical, yeah, you know, classical soldier. Soldier, a, a lean, mean fighting machine, uh, probably a pretty doggone good soldier, but obviously he uh, engaged in a foreign relations blunder here, a policy blunder. Um, he wants more troops. He keeps talking about 40,000 troops. And in this interview with uh, Dexter Felkins, um, I think it's interesting, uh, some of the quotes and uh, one of these major aides here in uh, characterizing Afghanistan uh, basically uh, eight months ago. He, he, uh, this is Michael Flynn, who is McChrystal's deputy, who undoubtedly was one of the uh, people quoted in the Rolling Stone article. It feels like Iraq in 2004. Part of, part of it is that the insurgency is stronger. We didn't realize how strong it was. I'm quoting from uh, Michael Flynn here. What we are trying to do is make sure everyone understands what it is that we are facing. A much stronger insurgency, certainly much more capable. Their capacity to lay IEDs on the battlefield, for instance, is stunning. He says, we're going to go in and ask for some resources. If those resources are brought to us in a timely manner, I believe that it will probably take us three years to turn the insurgency to the point where it is waning instead of waxing. Then McChrystal's strategy and statement later in the article, 
as uh, Dexter Filkins reports, the softer side of McChrystal's strategy has two main thrusts, training Afghan soldiers and police and persuading the insurgents to change sides. It's here where the best chances of long-term success in Afghanistan may lie. The first of these is a vast, expensive, and painstaking project. In the ninth year of the war, Afghan forces are neither uh, large nor able enough to take over for NATO. The Afghan army has about 85,000 soldiers, and its police has about 80,000 men. McChrystal wants to boost the size of the army to 240,000 and the police to 160,000. Quote, I think we can do it, he told me, Filkins. Uh, mm-hmm. Quoting there, this was uh, what McChrystal wanted to do. And to some extent, Obama accommodated him later last year in the famous uh, speech he gave to West Point. In, uh, early Backing dis- away from his uh, campaign promise to withdraw as soon as possible. Yeah, but he with a, quote, timetable, right. a sort of future theory that will get out sometime in the summer of 2011, which is next year. This, of course, has run into problems, this uh, policy. And McChrystal and his aides, of course, took pot shots at uh, Holbrook and uh, Eikenberry, the uh, ambassador, uh, who has questioned the uh, legitimacy and the wisdom of escalating the war in Afghanistan. Um, and leaked article that appeared, uh, Carl Eikenberry is the U.S. ambassador to uh, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, excuse me. And he's still in uh, place. He opposes more troop deployments. This was before Obama had finally come up with the policy last year. In an article by uh, Mark uh, Landler and Jeff Zelny, um, he basically opposed the 40,000 troop request that McChrystal had been making and uh, leaked his uh, mm-hmm. displeasure to the media about a, uh, two or three weeks before Obama decided to escalate. This is where we're at. And uh, allegedly, Obama, uh, uh, Vice President Biden is also in agreement with uh, Eikenberry on this. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, um, to the credit of uh, McChrystal and uh, Michael Flynn in this article by Dexter Filkins, they uh, see the problems in Pakistan. Indeed, as we've been saying for years, I think, down here. But... Since 2001. <laughs> <laughs> well, essentially what we've got here is a sort of a internecine squabble between State Department and War Department. And Obama has given the, you know, defense... We'll call it defense, although it's really war here. We're talking about the Secretary of Defense. Uh, sort of the first chance to say, well, let's try it. We'll try it. We'll we'll throw some more troops at the situation. And uh, it's not panning out as state had suspected. Over the weekend, uh, elder statesman Henry Kissinger Uh-oh. has chimed in on Afghanistan. And, uh, of course, uh, elder statesman is uh, one way of putting it. Uh, America's uh, greatest living war criminal is kind of how I like to refer to uh, Dr. Kissinger. Don't call me strange, love. Uh, but he calls the plan to begin handing over responsibility to national forces in Afghanistan in July next year a mechanism for failure. 
Well, Henry Kissinger uh, certainly has firsthand experience with mechanisms for failure, but I would say that this turning over the uh, situation to Afghan national forces is is not a failure. Uh, the entire plan to go in in the first place was doomed to failure. The mechanism for failure, as Mr. Steele might want to refresh himself, was in the Bush administration's policies to pursue the Afghanistan crisis uh, so haphazardly and dump everything into a Iraq. Yes. The, the opportunity was there to sort of uh, pursue the legendary hated enemy Osama bin Laden, but uh, no, that sort of became a back burner issue, and uh, let's focus on Saddam, the evil Saddam. And so uh, the mechanism for failure uh, were there. I don't think uh, America's getting out of uh, Afghanistan is going to be a failure. Consider the savings that will be accrued. Yeah. And we are no longer paying for this ridiculousness. And of course you could see during Petraeus's uh, sort of uh, rubber stamped uh, approval hearings of a week ago that it was clear that the Republican Party, um, the GOP, uh, led by John McCain once again, uh, at least in the hearings, opposes a timetable, opposes right. any sort of handover. Uh, he thinks that signals to the enemy that the uh, they can move back in, but they're moving back in all the time. Right, and uh, they're moving back in all the time, and we don't really know exactly what we're doing there because one of the plans is uh, the U.S. Marines handing out cash. I mean, you've heard about this, right? Uh, a wave of cash is being unleashed by the Marines in the Helmand District to try to undermine support for insurgents. This is a... Uh, little piece from uh, the 29th of July. Which, uh, of course, is part of the uh, McChrystal strategy. Yeah. He basically wanted to undermine the Taliban by uh, getting them to uh, switch sides, because as he put it in his belief, and I think this has uh, got some validity, um, these are called the $8 a day Taliban, Right. is that uh, most of the Taliban fighters, quoting from Dexter Felkins here uh, uh, through McChrystal, channeling McChrystal, uh, most of the Taliban fighters are not especially committed ideologically and could be brought into society with promises of jobs and protection. I'd like to go pretty high up, McChrystal said, referring to the Taliban's hierarchy. It could be people who are uh, commanders with a significant number of troops. I think uh, they can be given the opportunity to come in to switch sides. Yeah, uh, for example, the uh, 6th Battalion alone is spending close to a million dollars by the end of the year. Uh, a little clipping here says, A big sum for an area of adobe villages and ramshackle bazaars. Other units will spend similar amounts. Uh, this is being spent in the regions on uh, contracting, basically. Uh, repairing mosques, improving clinics, and so forth. Uh, a gunnery sergeant, uh, Marquez, is quoted here. Uh, is saying, we know they get this for 10 cents and then they charge a dollar. That's fine because we're trying to stimulate the economy, uh, says Gunnery Sergeant Jose Marquez, who spends hours cross-legged on a carpet negotiating with Afghani contractors. Quote, we try to mitigate it as best as we can, but what do I know about construction? Indeed, Jose Marquez probably has a job back home. Uh, where he'd like to be with his wife and children, perhaps. Why are there no summer jobs programs for young men and women here at home? Fixing schools, repairing things. Uh, it would be great to have some uh, 
job stimulus uh, for the teenage sector, uh, but it won't happen. It won't happen, and, and we've seen in this recent debate about extending unemployment benefits that, once again, the Senate, you know, there's 57 votes in favor of doing it, but the uh, Republicans in the Congress, i.e. the Senate, are holding this up. Uh, this may pay off for them politically. Their theory is that uh, America is now focused on deficits. Um, I think that uh, Paul Krugman's got it uh, perfectly correct. Uh, let me see if I can find his quote from uh, Upton Sinclair. It says, it's difficult to understand something when your salary depends upon not understanding something. Hmm. That's the Republican Party in a nutshell. They're opposed to uh, either... Uh, Enhancing stimulus packages or even paying extended unemployment benefits to the detriment of all sorts of people all across the country. Meanwhile, what's their record? Uh, well, uh, looking at some of these unemployment numbers, it's interesting. After gaining 21.7 million payroll jobs in the 1990s, the economy lost 940,000 jobs from December 1999 to December 2009, and that was the decade, of course, that Bush was primarily in charge of. Um, that's when this uh, Great Recession started, uh, connected to all sorts of structural, long-term uh, uh, economic decisions that the United States has erroneously made regarding priorities uh, all over the map, free trade, um, you know, the finance economy, turning everything over to Wall Street, credit cards, deficit spending. And, of course, you're seeing state budgets just absolutely crippled uh, in terms of uh, cutting spending that, they're, that they have to do all over the place because uh, they can't run deficits. And, of course, it seems that the Republican Party now is gambling uh, that cutting off the unemployed in America is some sort of uh, real solution. Paul Ryan, uh, a leading uh, rising star of the Republican Party and top man on the House Budget Committee, stated uh, in uh, opposition to extending unemployment benefits, I reject the false premise that only forceful and sustained government intervention in the economy can secure the country's renewed prosperity, he said last week. Um, Kevin Brady... Uh, Republican from Texas uh, warned that current spending could lead to a debt crisis similar to Greece. Well, I'll quote this one from uh, Douglas Elmendorf, the uh, director of the Congressional Budget Office, a bipartisan office, said uh, that under a relatively optimistic scenario that involved little changes to current law, U.S. debt would continue to rise from 62% of GDP this year to about 80% of GDP in 2035. But under an alternative scenario in which several changes were made to legislation, including the extension of tax cuts pushed through under George W. Bush, U.S. debt could hit 185% of GDP by 2035. Yeah. And, and, of course, that's the, the whole problem here is that the, the tax cuts are extended to the wealthy. Um, and, you know, the, the numbers are staggering. I think I read somewhere now where one out of four houses in America, households in America is dependent on government aid, um, either unemployment, welfare, or uh, 
you know, social security, disability type things. Obviously, the new unemployment numbers that came out, the rate went down slightly, but that's uh, mainly because uh, uh, 600,000 people dropped out of the uh, job economy. Mm -hmm. On the positive side, there were 83,000 private sector jobs created in June, more than double the count in May. Uh, And in the first six months of By comparison, in the first six months of 2009, this is basically the recession that Obama inherited, the nation lost 3.7 million private sector jobs. Uh, This year it has gained 590,000 jobs, which is empirical proof that the stimulus package, despite some criticism, prevented a much, much greater uh, economic catastrophe from happening. The Republican Party, their understanding of fiscal policy is mind-boggling. It's all backwards. (laughs) They basically have no problem with deficits when they're in the form of tax cuts to the wealthy that have Mm -hmm. created these structural deficits dating back to Ronald Reagan's uh, re-engineering of our uh, tax structure uh, recently, well, (laughs) 28 years ago. But when it comes to spending... They view that as, oh, now we're all concerned about the deficit. Well, <laughs> this is ridiculous, this this uh, contradictory. There's very little evidence by the, you know, the spending is actually probably a better multiplier when it comes down to the pure economics of it. It's Keynesian economics. I was just going to say we're all Keynesians now, aren't we? Wasn't There is no <laughs> Reaganomics. It's not trickle down, it's trickle up. Defying gravity, logic, uh, and common decency. And, of course, the the reason that the Republicans are resistant and uh, obstructing and uh, trying to actually work against America's interests is it's quite clear. Uh, This is from John Harwood. In the 15 midterm elections since Harry Truman, the the party uh, that won the White House in uh, 1948, the sitting president's party, has lost House seats 13 times. The exceptions were 1998, when the Democrats benefited from the uh, 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 Bill Clinton impeachment Lewinsky nonsense, and in 2002, when Bush capitalized on post-9-11 fight against terrorism. <laughs> That's scary, because those are obviously sideshow side issues to uh, real yep. economic concerns, and... Uh, it's remarkable that uh, you have these uh, bills tied up with filibusters when ordinary people are suffering as a result of these political shenanigans. Well, uh, really sort of a weird little article here that was weird not so much for the subject matter or even the way it was written, but for its use of a phrase that in the British parlance uh, might not mean uh, very much, but has an interesting sort of uh, baggage here. I'll just read the first paragraph by Alan Rappaport uh, here. Hiring at U.S. private companies slowed in June as businesses pulled back ahead of summer, fueling fears the labor market's recovery would be wobbly. And indeed, the article is entitled, Wobbly Recovery, Fear as Hiring Slows. Well, of course, the Wobblies is sort of a nickname for the IWW, International Workers of the World, a... uh, sometimes radical uh, Mm -hmm. left-wing union organizers back in the heyday of that activity before uh, labor unions were even legal uh, in this country. They were often 
doing uh, some of the important work and educating people and giving them some facts and information about the uh, economic structure within which uh, all workers are trapped. And <clears throat> it occurred to me that, uh, indeed, uh, with all of this uh, media attention to the rise of the teabaggers, uh, one would think that there's an equal and opposite reaction to that, and not to say that there's going to be a sort of a resurgence of the IWW or of Wobblies, per se, but that with this economic situation, with this sort of uh, Republican Party ideological uh, charade, that uh, one would hope that uh, uh, Americans uh, who do have a fairly solid grasp on some statistics, facts, and uh, basic reality could spread good information to the ill-informed types who tend to uh, vote consistently against their class interests to buy into the sort of hysteria about a lot of the teabag issues, you know, which are non-issues, things like immigration, abortion, guns, and uh, who identify with that uh, really against their own uh, economic best interests. So... Uh, people just have to talk, and you can't let the uh, right-wingers who monopolize uh, talk radio uh, do all the grandstanding. There needs to be uh, a dialogue. Yeah, and of course, labor media is not set up to foster that, though. Yeah, and labor unions, of course, that have been attacked uh, mercilessly for quite a long, uh, <laughs> several decades yeah. now, or basically at a 70-year low. Uh, recently, I was reading a uh, letter to the... Uh, New York Review of Books by Paul Ehrlich, who uh, was a uh, man who predicted, you know, bad things from the growing global population. And he pointed out that since 1975, which is when I would sort of pinpoint this sort of backlash against unions, uh, mm. you know, as a political movement here in the United States with the rise of Ronald Reagan uh, when, he, when he was running for president and eventually his policies... Uh, proved uh, that to be the case, the globe has added 2.5 billion people. And this is one of the structural economic problems that uh, our body politic, our, our elites are just not uh, addressing in any substantive way. Uh, labor is unfortunately cheap, mm -hmm. and it's abundant. It's overly abundant. And uh, there was a recent article, for instance, about a couple of manufacturing uh, plants in Ohio that are having trouble finding workers uh, who simply don't have ninth grade math skills. Uh, you know, they need to basically be able to read graphs and uh, understand some simple equations to perform tasks that these jobs require. And uh, American uh, workers, in many cases, just simply don't have those skills. Or if they do, they don't want to work work those kinds of jobs. Right. You know, working machine tools, uh, working in factories. And that's Which, of course, isn't going to pay like it used to. No. Or provide the benefits package that in the 60s, for example, when unions were probably at their strongest, uh, were able to negotiate for. Yeah. And uh, some wow. of these structural problems in the American economy, you know, we, we need to sort of take off our... Our partisan uh, cowboy hats, and uh, you know, start start really asking some honest questions about, you know, what's the future here? What what are we going to do about these uh, structural problems in the American economy related to manufacturing? Because facts are facts. Uh, uh, 
Previous recessions in America have not come into recovery unless there's a recovery in either manufacturing or in housing. And we all know that the housing uh, market in the United States is a complete mess. It's just, it's almost beyond control. It's almost beyond repair, uh, especially when you have uh, 18 million unsold units. I yeah. Mean, you just have an oversupply in these areas that whose uh, essence of, of economic development was growing, uh, you know, a, f- a further suburban sprawl in areas like Las Vegas and Phoenix and parts of Florida and whatnot, th- this is just no um, viable economic model for the future. Uh, it's, there's nobody there to buy the houses. <laughs> Either they don't qualify or, you know, there just has to be, as the saying goes, somebody's going to have to take a haircut. <laughs> Well, we have to stop drinking the Kool-Aid, too, Yeah, in, uh, in a lot of the cases. Um, sort of an oddball item here. I don't know if we want to shift gears a little bit here. Are we coming up to the... Uh, yeah, we always like oddball items. Top of the hour, but apparently there's a... Uh, out of all the possible controversies and scandals that you could imagine emerging from Pakistan, apparently lack of accreditation is the uh, biggest one at the moment. Scores of Pakistan's politicians are in danger of losing their seats for allegedly lying about their academic credentials in the latest controversy to hit this fragile democracy. Apparently 1,100 legislators have uh, had their education records investigated. There are uh, suspicions that uh, several hundred of them uh, falsified their claims. Uh, One politician uh, gave us this fairly remarkable quote. Uh, Nawab Raisaini, chief minister of Baluchistan province and an ally of President Asif Zadari, played down the issue uh, with this uh, comment. A degree is a degree. Whether fake or genuine, it's a degree. (laughs) Uh It makes no difference. He shouted at reporters this week. Why, this guy could work for the Republican Party. (laughs) It's a fake degree, but it's still a degree. It's an online degree. (laughs) It's a uh, piece of paper. Yes, indeed. Well, (laughs) if only America had uh, more of those sorts of... Decredited, uh, yeah, we'd like to know where Michelle Bachman got her degree. <laughs> or Sarah Palin, for that matter. Right, yeah. I'd Did like to see some of her uh, collegiate work. Actually get a degree, or uh, was it eventually purchased somewhere on the internet? Yeah. Who knows? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, uh, the Supreme Court bizarrely, uh, or rather not so bizarre, but troublingly, uh, has overturned uh, Chicago's 28-year-old ban on handguns, uh, sort of following up on a ruling a year ago, uh, two years ago, uh, in which they overturned Washington, Mm D.C.'s handgun ban. And uh, this raises a lot of uh, questions that the Second Amendment continues to sort of leave hanging in the air. Because the language of the Second Amendment is such that the state militia is the sort of key phrase that kind of gets lost in the uh, conversations and in the uh, consideration of these situations. But Washington, D.C. doesn't even have a state militia. 
So therefore, shouldn't they be allowed? It's a city that's had uh, terrible problems with gang violence, street mm -hmm. crime, uh, drive-by shootings, et cetera, et cetera. There was a time, 